As we begin 2023, here's a New Year's resolution you can actually keep. Eat more chocolate. Extensive research demonstrates the remarkable benefits of daily cocoa flavanols on brain and heart function. So I searched high and low for cocoa products that deliver meaningful amounts of healthful flavanols with great flavor and minimal sugar. I'm thrilled to found Flava Naturals. Flava Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate Bars and Cocoa Powder deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate. Their secret is sourcing premium high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to fuel brain and cardio performance. I use it every day. Flava Naturals is a New Year's resolution you'll actually keep. To order, just go to flavanaturals.com. That's flavanaturals.com. There you can also check out the latest research, including a recent Harvard study showing a 27% reduction in cardiovascular death. Plus, get great recipes at flavanaturals.com. Flavanaturals.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and it is a welcome podcast indeed because we're going to talk about uh, an integrated perspective on skin problems. Uh, with us today, Dr. Diana Hurwitz. She's a board-certified dermatologist with over 20 years of experience caring for patients. She has uh, a very, very distinguished uh, educational background. She completed undergraduate training at Harvard College with honors, and then she went on to Mount Sinai School of Medicine here in New York City. Um, uh, after taking some time off to work at Mass General Hospital, uh, finished internal medicine internship at Yale New Haven Hospital, and then completed her dermatology residence at the University of Miami, which I guess is the, the capital of skin cancer. It's a lot of sun down there. Uh, then she was chief of dermatology at a multi-specialty group, uh, and lately, uh, she has uh, started to orient herself in an integrative direction uh, using complementary medicine in practice, uh, which is located in Larchmont, New York, uh, Westchester County. Uh, she, along with uh, a recent guest, Dr. Jill Weintraub, uh, co-founded Kitchen Prescription, a cooking and wellness blog which shares her passion and expertise on food as well as medicine. And uh, she is also the co-author uh, with uh, Dr. Uh, Weintraub of Strategies to Treat Psoriasis and Psoriatic Arthritis. And so one of the reasons that we had her on the program is because we we're introduced to her via Dr. Jill Weintraub, who's an integrative rheumatologist. Well, uh, she... Uh, uh, Dr. Hurwitz is a dermatologist, and we want to know about an integrative approach to dermatology. So welcome. It's a pleasure having you on the program. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Okay, great. Well, uh, give us a little bit of background about uh, what got you, you know, you had a, a very uh, orthodox training in dermatology, you know, top of the line uh, medical institutions, uh, and but lately you've taken a turn towards a, a more integrative approach. You know, uh, when I was in medical school, one of the things that they said a little disparagingly about uh, the dermatology specialty was that there were two basic strategies uh, if somebody came to you with skin problems. Well, actually, three, maybe you know, cut it out uh, is one, but uh, short of that, 
uh, lubricate with an ointment or put some steroids on it. <laughs> but lately, there's kind of a breakthrough in that uh, paradigm because we're recognizing that there are a lot of nutritional concomitants. Uh, and we're also uh, now have a whole new arsenal of medications that can treat, you know, otherwise very, very refractory problems. So uh, what, what got you on this new with this new direction that you're taking? Uh, for me, it was very personal. Um, when I was young, my father's a pediatrician. Um, I came home one day and announced there's something wrong with me. I'm, I'm short and you're very tall. And I just feel like I'm a little more fatigued than I should be. And, you know, being a doctor's daughter, a lot of that was dismissed. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, I saw an endocrinologist and nothing came of it. Because mm -hmm. the, the, the endocrinologist might, you know, uh, they were starting to, you know, when you were younger, administer growth hormone, you know, to give you a couple of inches right. of height, you know, and that's kind of the major right. intervention that pediatric endocrinologists do when kids are short. Correct. So, uh, fast forward, I was in medical school and developed anemia and my liver function tests were a little elevated. And I saw seven gastroenterologists and I had ultrasounds done and I kept on being queried about alcoholism mm -hmm. and ultimately they wanted to do a liver biopsy, which I uh, rejected with LFTs in the 40s. Um, and just kind of left it with some things you just don't uh, find etiology to. Mm -hmm. And one day I woke up with an itchy vesicular rash on my elbows and looked at myself and thought, this is the rash of dermatitis herpetiformis, which is um, the rash of celiac disease. So I wound up biopsying myself. I did have dermatitis herpetiformis, and I went on a gluten-free diet, and six weeks later, my LFTs had normalized, and I was no longer anemic. And it was a real aha moment for me where I realized that really, in large part, we are what we eat. And sometimes, inadvertently, we're eating exactly the wrong things. And it has a downstream deleterious effect on a lot of body systems. And I attribute that to some autoimmune diseases that... Um, I've been diagnosed with, but felt that I, I was so empowered by this new diagnosis and a turnaround in how, how I felt. I wanted to learn more to be able to give back more to my patients who are open to that. And how, how often do you estimate that uh, people go, you know, for an entire lifetime or to advanced uh, middle age uh, with uh, either outright celiac disease, which is characterized by a skin disorder called uh, dermatitis herpetiformis. It's a characteristic type of rash. Uh, but, you know, maybe without very obvious uh, signs, you know, the, the part of the clue was that you weren't growing at a normal rate. Maybe you weren't absorbing nutrients properly. Uh, but how often is it that patients don't get a proper diagnosis uh, going well into adulthood or even, you know, taking it to their graves? Um. 
I don't have a definitive number. I don't know that anybody does, but my um, my suspicion is that it's vastly underdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. And I started talking to patients with psoriasis and with atopic dermatitis or eczema and started just asking them as I would ask a litany of uh, fairly formulaic questions about uh, gluten and about GI issues, but also about fatigue, depression, um, and other less known signs and symptoms of celiacs. So in other words, in, in classic dermatology, this is a specific lesion. Uh, it's called dermatitis or pediformis, which, uh, you know, maybe you can describe what that looks like. But I think what you're saying is that mm-hmm. uh, maybe that's the tip of the iceberg of gluten-related uh, skin problems. Correct. And once you have one autoimmune disease, you're far more likely to have others. So dermatitis pediformis is typically a very itchy or very peritic rash, typically found on the elbows, the knees, the scalp, and sometimes the buttocks. Um, It's intractable, and topical steroids don't touch it, and oral steroids don't tend to touch it. And it's a diagnosis based on biopsy, but there has to be an index of suspicion to biopsy it. Not everybody with celiac has dermatitis or pediformis, but everybody with dermatitis or pediformis has celiac disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you know, it, uh, even a, a good uh, detective work by an internist, you know, like myself, uh, can sometimes pick that up in a patient and then make a proper referral to a dermatologist for a definitive diagnosis or a gastroenterologist for an intestinal biopsy. Um, or, yeah. you know, using some of the blood tests, there are serological tests for um, for a celiac disease that can then confirm the diagnosis or simply, a, you know, a trial of elimination sometimes uh, can, right. uh, you know, clinch the diagnosis. So it, it, it mm-hmm. maybe sometimes it doesn't even have to be outright classic celiac disease. I, you know, I know of a lot of patients who have skin problems who respond well to diet change. What are some of the diet changes that can be helpful for psoriasis or eczema? Well, dampening down some inflammation, um, I think is really important. And diet is first and foremost, um, in, in my initial, uh, discussion with them about decreasing inflammation. So I talk about decreasing, potentially decreasing gluten, potentially decreasing dairy, which is a trigger for some people, um, definitely decreasing um, a lot of foods that are common in the Western diet that, um, you know, fast foods, for example, are highly inflammatory, and I think Anybody, regardless of um, a dermatologic diagnosis, can sometimes be improved overall, uh, less fatigued, potentially less aches and pains if they switch from a typically Western diet to a Mediterranean diet, for example. Mm-hmm. And, you know, rich in, in some certain anti-inflammatory foods, what would you consider uh, really healthful foods for the skin? I think increasing omega-3s and decreasing omega-6s are really important. Mm -hmm. So, for example, adding 
fatty fish like salmon and introducing that into the diet on a regular basis, I think can be a wonderful start to improving diet. Um, I'm not saying eliminating red meat, but decreasing a lot of red meat. Um, introducing more uh, fiber in the form of fruits and vegetables is important. Um, sometimes alcohol can be a trigger, so reducing alcohol intake can be important. And sugar can be a trigger. So sugar is tricky because it hides in a lot of foods that one doesn't necessarily associate as being um, dessert or sugar-laden. You know, salad dressing, ketchup, things like that, that you know, just taste Absolutely. so savory, but uh, they're Trojan horses for a lot of sugar. Exactly, exactly. So I, I don't want to take too draconian an approach and say none of any of those things, but, you know, Try to be more mindful of everything on your plate and everything that you're eating. What about, uh, you know, teenagers? You probably see a lot of teenagers, a lot of uh, acne. That's a typical problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and I actually think it's really a lost opportunity when we don't talk to teenagers about diet because so many teenagers, you know, they may not be overtly diabetic, but uh, they can be metabolically uh, headed for trouble, they have insulin resistance, they're carrying excess weight, and, you know, maybe mm -hmm. they don't care about uh, mortality, you know, because they're, they're immortal at, uh, you know, 14, 15, 16. Uh, but you can get them on the hook when you say, hey, if you eat this way, your skin's going to look better, right? Oh, I think that is um, always a plug that I use with teens. Um, and I do acknowledge that you know, when you're 15, the thought of being 50 is just, um, it's unheard of. I yeah. mean, it, you are immortal. And, um, but we talk about food as another integrative approach to treat acne. And some of the triggers are similar to the triggers that I mentioned previously, um, especially sugar, especially um, fast foods. And integrating more fruits and vegetables, whole grains into the diet, and using fast food and sugar as a treat as opposed to a staple. Indeed. In fact, one of the more interesting uh, articles on acne that relates it to diet is an article by, kind of a classic article by Lauren Cordain. It's a small series of patients who underwent a paleo diet with elimination of dairy and grains, lots of fresh vegetables, uh, animal proteins uh, galore, um, and uh, they had remarkable resolution of, of acne, you know, to the extent mm -hmm. that it was either dramatically improved or completely reversed uh, in a relatively short period of time. So, uh, you know, clearly there are dietary concomitants. Uh, what about the role of the microbiome? That's uh, getting a lot of play these days. Do you think that... Uh, the condition of the microbiome may have something to do with skin manifestations. A hundred percent. I think the microbiome is just beginning to be understood and is the root cause for a lot of systemic inflammation. So probiotics and pro and prebiotic foods are something that I talk about with all of my patients who have inflammation including acne, including atopic dermatitis, eczema, psoriasis. 
And I think when you start to have more fiber in your diet, when you start to either take probiotics and prebiotics in the form of a supplement or you start to have things like kombucha or you have sauerkraut or kefir or yogurt that is all of these are packed with probiotics, I think it can dampen down a lot of inflammation and help either the body heal itself or help more traditional medications work more effectively and quicker. And, and that's an interesting point because a lot of people think it's binary. It's sort of an either or thing. It's like, well, uh, you know, natural stuff failed. So now I'm going to stop taking care of my diet and taking supplements and I'll just turn to powerful medications. Do you think that uh, these techniques, diet and supplements have the ability to augment the potential benefits of medications? A hundred percent. I find that patients who have um, an interest in taking care of their health holistically and not just relying on a pill or on an injection do far better. And I would say that there's an added benefit of having more agency over your health. And I think when you feel that you're in control of something, um, that you're more invested in the outcome. And I think you feel less dysthymia, less anxiety, less depression about what sometimes can be an incurable condition. Yeah, they, that's an interesting point. Is, is there a connection, do you think, between uh, stress and skin problems? Because... Uh, uh, you know, I, I recall an advertisement where they were talking about the agony of psoriasis. And, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. it's sometimes painful, but I think they were talking about the psychic agony of having disfigured skin and, you know, the stigma that that creates when you go to the pool and, you know, you look like you have a scaly rash uh, that makes people mm-hmm. think you're a leper. Uh, so do you, you think that there may be a... a, a, a uh, neuropsychiatric uh, derm connection somehow? There's some pathway there? I think 100% that there is. And it's a little like the chicken and the egg. I think that having a chronic derm condition can cause anxiety, can cause depression and dysthymia, can have detrimental effects on self-esteem. If people don't understand what's on your skin, they can assume um, incorrectly that this is something that is transmissible. It can affect people's ability to wear certain clothing to date. It can affect sexual health. It can affect relationships. Um, I think the effects are profound in a lot of people. Um, so I think that's always something I screen for and something that I think deserves more and more attention. Yeah, that would be a, I think the term I'm looking for is PNI, psychoneuroimmunology, the sort of feedback loop between uh, your immune system and uh, your brain and your mood. And it, it all, mm-hmm. it, you can either have a, a vicious cycle of worsening or you can have a healing cycle where you become ever more uh, confident and uh, calm. And, and that, in effect, has an anti inflammatory effect. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I would coach my nurse that when teenagers with nodular cystic acne who qualified for isotretinoin or Accutane would first come in, 
typically they don't make eye contact. They're so self-conscious about the way they look that they answer questions, but they talk to their feet. And when we're at the end of a four to six month uh, treatment protocol and the acne is largely cleared or has totally cleared, I begin to notice that they make eye contact, that their whole demeanor has changed, and it really has a lot to do with self-esteem and empowerment. And I think it's not only true of acne, but it's true of eczema and psoriasis as well. Indeed. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, Accutane because that's a controversial drug, uh, you know, typically mm-hmm. used for, you know, bad cases of acne. And it's associated with, uh, you know, liver problems. It's associated with uh, psychiatric problems even. And in fact, I recall there was a congressional hearing uh, that was based on, you know, a congressman who's, I think, child committed suicide because they mm-hmm. allege uh, that it was related to Accutane. So, uh is this one of these things where uh, the benefit has to vastly outweigh the, the risk, which is substantial? In in my experience, um, I have only had one patient whose depression worsened on Accutane and felt like it would be better to be off of the medication. Mm-hmm. And thousands of other people, I think just the opposite happened, where they would come into the office dysthymic or outright depressed and at the end of the treatment protocol would be vastly um, improved. Now, that doesn't mean that Accutane is a cure-all and that life won't throw you curveballs that can add to depression and anxiety, but I think when you're just looking at the ramifications of uh, nodular cystic acne, I think Accutane is a wonder drug, and I think that that particular congressman um, was dealing with a lot of grief, and it was, in my opinion, misdirected. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, there's the antibiotics, which are used a lot uh, for treatment of acne, and they are associated with downsides as well, you know, antibiotic resistance, uh, disruptions mm-hmm. of the microbiome. So. Uh, how do you keep that to a to a dull roar? I know that you know perhaps with your integrative orientation, you're a little more conscious than the average dermatologist of those potential downsides. I I would say that's true, and I would say that um, an embarrassing statistic is that dermatologists who are one percent of the physician workforce give out twenty percent of the antibiotics, wow. and a lot of my colleagues give antibiotics for six months, a year, two years, and I think they're diminishing returns after a couple months anyway, but I think the impact on the microbiome is so vast that I refrain from using it for more than a month, and I really have to be convinced to use it. Mm-hmm. If I do use it, I use the sub-therapeutic dosage of antibiotics. Which, which I understand have also uh, pleiotropic effects. They're anti-inflammatory as well as um, antimicrobial. This is what I understand about yes. tetracycline, yes. doxycycline, things like that. So they that might actually okay. help the war effort. Um, exactly. So what about topicals for acne? Uh, are there some? Do you have some favorite topicals? You know, sometimes I recommend that people try manuka cream. 
uh, or uh, other types of topicals, you know, maybe topical tea tree oil, topical uh, uh, oregano mm-hmm. oil, which have antimicrobial effects. What's your take on those types of things? Tea tree oil, unfortunately, can cause contact dermatitis in yeah. many people. Mm-hmm. So, also, it's a hormonal I, effect, I understand. It, it can actually cause uh, gynecomastia in young boys if used too intensively. It's, it seems to exactly. get absorbed. Yeah. Exactly. So, I tend to steer clear of that. Um, my favorite workhorse is tretinoin or topical vitamin A, mm-hmm. which has been such an effective, well-tolerated topical that if you buy it uh, generically, is relatively inexpensive. It's also and kind of anti-aging, sort of an anti-wrinkle treatment, right? Oh, it, it's good for everything. It decreases oil. It's good for scarring. It's good for post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, which typically accompanies acne. And it's, it's a wonder drug. I tend to use it in conjunction with benzoyl peroxide and avoid the topical antibiotics that are on the market. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, good point at which to pause because we divide our podcast into two parts. Uh, we're talking to Diana Hurwitz, who's uh, a board-certified dermatologist, but uh, she's also uh, deep into integrative and complementary medicine. Uh, she is co-founder of Kitchen Prescription. It's a cooking and wellness blog, uh, along with our recent podcast guest, integrative rheumatologist Dr. Jill Weintraub, is a collaborator. And um, also, you are co-author of a book entitled uh, Strategies to Treat Psoriasis and Psoriatic Arthritis, which we're going to get into in part two. But uh, tell us about the website, uh, Kitchen Prescription. So Jill and I started the website during COVID. Uh, We had both left um, a large multi-specialty group. And we left for for various reasons. But one of them was that we were forced to see so many people each day that I didn't feel like I could have any of the discussions about holistic care that I wanted to have that I think people also benefited from immensely. And in that vacuum where everything shut down and we were regrouping, we decided to start the blog and write about holistic uh, treatments for autoimmune diseases. So kitchen prescription is not just for psoriasis, it's for all autoimmune diseases. But I, I would even go so far as to say it's applicable for systemic inflammation in general. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's a great uh, general website. It's well worth subscribing to if you go to uh, kitchen prescriptioncom correct? And then uh, enter your yeah. uh, email. Uh, you can get a, a, a great weekly newsletter, uh, which summarizes some of the latest scientific findings in very easy-to-digest form. So uh, oh, great you. work. Yeah. And uh, nice graphics, too. <laughs> I must commend you. Uh, okay. So uh, when we return, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the new innovations in dermatology. You know, we see the ads on TV all the time for things like uh, Dupixent, uh, atopic mm-hmm. dermatitis and eczema, uh, psoriasis medications, they abound, a Tesla, Taltz, uh, Cosentix, you name it. Um, we're going to explore those and also talk about uh, specific vitamins and supplements 
that our guest Diana Hurwitz likes to use in her practice for patients with skin problems. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.